Today on IndieThinker, I try to show the importance of speaking up and speaking out, especially at this crucial cultural moment where infanticide is about to be legalized by lawmakers in California. I know it seems too crazy to actually be true, but you have to, you have to see it to believe it, I suppose. So you need to check it out. We'll talk about that and more all on today's show. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching, liking, sharing, and subscribing because as a prophet, I can already tell, I know in the back of my mind that you're going to do that because you understand that sharing is caring and you also understand that to truly love your neighbor, you need to provide them with resources to great content like this. So if you truly love your neighbor, you will. Maybe to even take screenshots of this show, share it. Maybe uh, tell all of your friends how amazing this life-changing experience of a show has been for you. Whatever the case may be, let me not plant any seeds. Far be it for me to ever do that. But uh, you just decide for yourself how amazing and awesome this show is and then share it, like it, and subscribe. Uh, but thank you so much sincerely for doing that. And then um, I just want to kind of disclaimer before we jump into what I think is probably one of the most important shows we've done here at IndieThinker, um, at least in, based upon the things we're going to be talking about today. The quick disclaimer is this, the show today is really all going to be about speaking up about uh, things and, and lifting your voice and, and the fact that your voice matters. Uh, I believe that right now we're living in a cultural moment where we are seeing things start to take place right now that are a recipe for perhaps destruction later. I believe within about a generation's time, two generations tops, that if things keep going as they are going, we will see the complete destruction and disintegration of our society and this American experiment could be over. Now that may sound a little bit drastic, but all I'm saying is that I know that a recipe for disaster is doing nothing and standing by idly and watching these things take place, we at least have to, at bare minimum, lift our voice and speak against some of the things that we're seeing happening right now so that we can, so that we can stop that, that from happening. And now I know that speaking up is, is one thing, but what do I speak about? Um, I'm going to get to that at the end of the show. Uh, so you got to stick around for that. I mean, at the front end of the show, at least, I'm going to spend most of my time sharing stories and examples of, of why we need to speak up. And then I will get to the what at the end of the show. So you got to stick around for that. But before we get there, I want to make sure you understand and know that our show is sponsored by the awesome guys over at Element Funding. Those people are uh, just about the best people on the planet. I know most of the guys, they're on a personal level. Uh, they're growing uh, ever ever more rapidly, so I, do, I don't know them all, but I know many of them. And I'm just going to tell you, when, when, when there are, I say there are sharks out there that want to lure you in with a low interest rate, and then they want to boom, drop the uh, the, the, the Joe Biden interest rate on you as soon as you come into, into the office and show you the truth. Um, when I tell you that there are sharks out there that will do that, and then when I tell you that Element Funding does not do that, I, I hope you, you know that I'm being 100% sincere with you, and those are the kind of people that I choose to do business with. I would even, now you won't do this with Element Funding, but I would even choose to spend a little bit more with people that I feel are honest, rather than to deal with dishonest people, because it's going to cost you more in the long run. So, Suffice to say, Element Funding and the guys over at the Kevin Blair team are, are amazing. So if you have any mortgage needs, you want to refinance your home, you want to lock in a rate before things get even crazier because they're going up all the time. I'm right now in the process and I'm telling you, rates from November to today have gone up by, uh, by a point and a half, if not two points, and they're going to keep on going up. So as you understand, there is no ceiling to the Joe Biden ministry, administration then you understand it's important for you right now to secure your family's financial future. So to go today to kevinblairteam.com for all of your mortgage needs, and they will surely help you, and they'll help you with integrity. And when you do so, make sure you let them know that IndieThinker sent you. Thomas Paine, you may have heard of him from the House of Paine, just kidding. But Thomas Paine said the long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it the superficial appearance of being right. So in other words, what he was saying is not doing something can be just as damaging as doing the wrong thing. 
But that fear of the social cost and of making a mistake or being misunderstood is very real and it keeps people silent on issues that really matter. I really think that many people fail to see the value and the power of free speech and may not until it's taken from them, quite frankly. If, if not, we people of good conscience would speak up a lot more. But I have hope that we'll remember the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We'll remember the words nailed to the church in Wittenberg and the words in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths. These words and more changed the world as we know it. Yet the often anemic and sanitized way especially Christians think on these issues keep us silent on the issue of, of speaking out, I mean. And when those who should have the most to stay, stay silent, it's a recipe for disaster. I don't know if we're just lazy or we believe the extortion of the left and are too scared to pay the price of someone saying anything mean to us and it, and it keeps us hushed. But we know very well that we're seeing things happen like the transgender movement, especially among young people, and, and we need to speak up about it. Let me give you some modern examples. Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell, a legend now who will go down in history because she just ruled that the CDC mask mandate for travelers was actually unconstitutional. So this last vestige of government overreach from the COVID era was just demolished by a judge who ruled that the CDC actually doesn't have any ability whatsoever to institute policies. The government had no intention of rolling that back either, by the way, guys. Any of its draconian policies, they weren't gonna overturn those and push those back. You know what did? The court systems? and public opinion and public resistance to things that were going on from the White House. So rest assured, if the, the White House and other politicians had their way, we would be living in a much different world. What about Disney? Disney is now very quiet about what's going on in Florida because they have started to see backlash for the kind of activism they practiced against our kids. They started biting the hand that feeds them, and now they're a little bit quiet, more quiet than they used to be. So their stock is tanking, and DeSantis right now is considering changing policies that have given Disney property loopholes that shouldn't really apply to anybody in the country. So the left is already freaking out and crying about how dangerous it is for governments to strike back on a company who's practicing the First Amendment, whatever. I mean, come on. How about this? The government should not give any loopholes that enriches a corporation if that organization wishes to subvert the political process in a state and local government. How about that? Just a suggestion. But both of those examples are just simple reminders that we can and should speak up and make a difference. But yet somehow in the back of my mind, I still hear people that I know the play it safe conservatives say, oh, well, we, we don't want to alienate people. You know, middle ground is the best way to win people. Uh, you know, we need to thoughtfully choose uh, that middle ground. But, but simply put, middle ground very often is for people who are, too, who are too afraid to pick a side. This is where Christians are misguided or worse. Some choose to say we're only supposed to bring positivity and light wherever we go. I mean, it is the slogan for every Christian radio station in the country. We're positive and encouraging radio. I just heard it enough to make you want to be like, what does that even mean? The big problem with that is that it often focuses on how others feel about a message. God, and that's everywhere, man. We, we weren't called, by the way, as Christians, to make sure people really, really like the truth. We're not God's PR men prettying up his words so that others will be tricked into liking it with slick packaging. The kind of Christianity that says, make sure others feel good about what you have to say leaves people rarely struck by the weight of the message. I mean, we might as well add another adjective to that slogan. We can be positive and encouraging and ineffective. And by the way, I've heard it before. Look at all the people that go to these uh, watered-down, positive, and encouraging churches. Bro, the most liked picture of all time on Instagram. So if we're going to talk about like, hey, people are coming. They must be coming for something. The most liked picture on Instagram of all time outside of Kylie Jenner's butt is a picture of an egg. So no, crowds do not mean that the truth is being spoken. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not, but... All I'm saying is, sure, be positive, be encouraging, but be real. If you can no longer stand up for the murder of the unborn, protect a generation from the predations of the transgender movement, or silence the lies who wish to use the race card, in other words, who used to wish, 
who wish to blackmail people with white guilt, you may find that also you're just pacifying people until they die. But here I am again, convincing a group of people that I really love and care about that we must wage war with bad ideas by absolutely demolishing them. Our own Bible tells us to do that. But also too, if you're just a person of good conscience and not a Christian, you should know better. I know this is probably a crazy example, but Trump, his thin skin was the best and worst asset that man had. His thin skin showed us something, that bullies can be pushed back if we push back. It showed the world that all it takes is a small breath of wind to blow over the house of lies, especially that the left is standing on. Now I realize it made him petty and self-serving, but it was also important to see a man that pushed back. The kind of disturbance he made in this system will be felt in some ways good and in some ways bad, to be sure. But it undeniably made a difference, right? We can say that. And speaking up about what you believe may seem insignificant, but all it takes is a small rudder to steer a ship and your tongue is just the right tool for that job. So the long pause of the church and from people of moral fortitude has been enough to let a world slip into utter madness. And it's doing so before our face at rapid pace, right into the hands of a vocal minority. Now, religious ideas and values have totally lost their significance for a large portion of the American public. And I happen to think unless we restore that, we'll continue to see erosion until our American experiment is gone. And you don't have to agree with me totally, but you do have to acknowledge the steep decline of the West. And there's only one person to blame for that, and it isn't the aforementioned vocal minority. They didn't have the cultural power to change that. I blame the majority, because they could have had the loudest voice. They could have done something. So the only question I have now is, are you ready yet to stop the madness? If so, isn't it time you risked taking a position on important things that you know deep down you really believe but you're afraid to say? Evangelicals for Biden, you mad yet that you sold out your principles for the sake of making yourself feel virtuous for not voting, Repu voting Republican on this ticket? Man, I truly hope so because compassion without confronting evil is mere cowardice. And we'll continue to see that unless we take a stand. But I've got a couple headlines today to show you there are some things that we need to start speaking up about. So let's jump into our headlines. So a new law is set to go into motion in California if nothing else changes. And I, as I told you at the beginning of the show, a little disclaimer, you're not going to believe what I'm telling you right now because it is so audacious and so insane. You're going to think I'm exaggerating for the purposes of, of clicks or promoting an episode or whatever. And oh, that that were so. Oh, that that were true, that I was just merely selling out to try to promote a platform rather than telling you exactly what is going on right now in California. So unfortunately, there's a new bill that allows you to kill your baby up to a month past its birth being considered right now in California. So I'm going to show you an opposition paper to be sure, very, very left-leaning, the Sacramento Bee and what they have to say about this thing so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this isn't me telling you this. This is the actual people promoting this nonsense telling you this. So here's that article. Assembly Bill, otherwise known as AB 2223, authored by Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks of Oakland, aims to shield women and other birthing people. Don't you love that other birthing people? What are you even talking about? From criminal and civil liability in the event of a miscarriage, self-induced or criminal abortion or infant death due to pregnancy related issues. We'll get back to that in a moment. And it goes on to, get, uh, to say this, quote, on Tuesday, hundreds of protesters are expected to turn up at the Capitol to protest the bill, including the congregations of several California churches. So by the way, it better be more than several California churches. It should be every single Christian church in California showing up on the steps of, of the Capitol as this bill is being uh, considered. Uh, however, I, I, I happen to think that it's probably going to be far less than that. So here's the deal. We, we need to dig into the terminology of the bill and to talk about the tactics of the left to actually help you understand what in the world is going on here and how this could 
how we could conceivably live in a world where something like this is being considered so that you will so that you will know that that th this is actually happening so uh, the first thing that I want to point out to you real quickly, um, at the expense of being ad hominem, but you decide for yourself, is that the left has the tendency to lie, okay? So this bill is intended to keep people from being criminally prosecuted if they miscarry a baby. Now, a couple of things here. All right, so there is not a single pro-lifer on the planet that believes that a woman that miscarries a baby should be criminally charged for miscarrying their baby. Not a single pro-lifer on the planet has ever said such a ludicrous statement, but the talking points from the left is that that's what this bill is for, is to protect women from radical pro-lifers. So what we're going to do is institute a bill that says that you will not be criminally negligent up to a month after the birth of your child for their death, okay? So we're to believe that right now, good women around the world, around the U.S. Uh, specifically, uh, and specifically in California, are, are right now volunteering at their church, giving most of their money away to charity, and, and, and then also serving at goodwill just to, you know, you know, put in that kind of secular charity piece to it too. Uh, doing everything they can with all of their free time to raise their kids, educate their kids in a healthy and respectable manner and giving away to charity and doing all of these wonderful, beautiful things. And then they just so happen to miscarry their baby and pro-lifers want to throw them in jail, which is total nonsense. So of course, this bill is already misleading people with lies because there is no such thing that exists. There's no such thing that exists even in American jurisprudence. It is impossible to prosecute a woman for miscarrying a baby. It doesn't exist. So what is this bill really all about? Well, I lead you to a person named in the article in the Sacramento Bee that is kind of the, the test case for why this bill is even being promoted in the first place. And this is a woman named Adora Perez. And again, if you go down to our sources, you can see this full story. And you'll see Adora Perez named in the article. So unlike the scenario that I just painted for you, Adora Perez wasn't volunteering at church, giving her money away to charity and helping raise her children in a healthy and functional manner. In fact, Adora is a third generation meth head. Adora has had nine children, all of which who have been taken away from her from the state. Her most recent child, the child in question, was stillborn and then Officers arrested her and sent her to jail for this. Why did they send her to jail for this? Not because the baby was stillborn, but because the baby had OD'd on meth and that's why it died. And so Adora Perez was criminally charged with the death of her child. Now to suggest anything other than that, this is absolutely a case that deserves criminal pro prosecution. Um, is It's not only is it obvious, it's kind of like, why would you believe anything other than that? It's hard for me to believe that even the most liberal people, now leftists for sure, because they don't believe in actually rational truth, uh, but even the most liberal people would disagree with the fact that Adora Perez deserves, deserves to go to jail because of course, of course she does. So we're not actually talking about people who just accidentally miscarry babies. We're talking about people who are criminally negligent in the death of their babies. But of course, this bill is being proposed because it's seen as an injustice that Adora Perez had to go to jail for the, death, for the death of her child. And so, of course, this opens up the floodgates for an incredible amount of, of issues, not the least of which is exactly where do we draw the line in, in this whole criminal negligence. So I wanna bring you to the next piece of this, of this puzzle, which is this, is that the left intentionally obscures language. They intentionally are overbroad so that they can get away with lying about things. Before I show you the actual language of the bill, I want to show you something in the article real quick so that, that you can understand what I'm talking about. Because the article right there, not written, written from a sympathetic perspective, gives us exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So, so check this out. So, and I quote, Critics have focused on the term perinatal death. The perinatal period is defined by the California Welfare and Institutions Code as being the period from the establishment of pregnancy to one month following delivery. So the baby's one month old out of the womb. 
In response to those concerns, Assemblywoman Wicks agreed to amend the bill to specify that it only applies to perinatal deaths stemming from pregnancy-related causes. So in response to some of the kickback uh, to this bill as it was originally proposed, the congresswoman had to change and get more specific in the bill to just say, hey, you can't kill your baby um, for any reason a month in to them being born. You know, uh, you can't just do that. And so she had to whittle down and be more specific and just say uh, pregnancy-related causes, right? So it's pregnancy-related causes that if your baby dies because of those things, you can't be pro criminally prosecuted for that. Now, let me just step aside for just a moment and just say something that I think is important to note throughout everything that we're talking about today, is that this bill is absolutely horrific. And I'll continue to show you just, just why here in just a moment. Uh, the bill is barbaric, it's horrific, and it should be destroyed. It should be burned upon a thousand fires, all right? But, uh, but I also think it's worth mentioning here that the vast majority of people in America who don't, who I guess I would say this, the people who are not pro-abortion but they are pro-choice, who make that very, like I think, silly and ridiculous and absurd contention that you can be that kind of person, um, do not understand that when you murder a baby in the womb, when you sever them limb from limb, you break their spinal cord and you suck them out of the mother's womb with a vacuum, that you are actually doing something as equally barbaric as killing a baby a month after they were born. There is literally no difference. Once a baby is conceived and it is in the womb and you kill that baby, you are doing something just as barbaric as what this bill would propose, right? Especially in its original language where the woman didn't even want to specify that it had to be, um, you know, pregnancy related, that, uh, that the suggestion here, and we'll get into this in a moment, the suggestion here is that the mother didn't do anything to purposefully kill the baby. Um, so suffice to say, I hope we remember that the abortion lobby is in the business of barbaric murderous uh, actions, much like what this bill is already proposing, but because the baby is out of the womb and we see it, it becomes a little bit more real to us. But the fact that you see it with your physical eye doesn't make it any less damaging and any less deadly for the baby in, in the womb. So I just, I wanna, I wanna put that out there. However, let's dig into the language of the bill real quick so that we can show you how they're being overbroad and purposefully using the logical fallacy of being over of overgeneralization in order to deceive. So according to the language of the bill already, we've got birthing people. Now that's just totally absurd, obviously, and so ridiculous. What kind of people give birth except for women? There aren't any. There are no aliens that exist as far as I know. I mean, that's Joe Rogan, maybe Walsh, other conspiracy theorists out there, but as far as I know, I mean, get with Kyrie, whatever. But as far as I know, there are no aliens right now. There are only women who give birth to, to people. So, uh, so birthing people already is ridiculous. And now we're protecting birthing people from criminal and civil liability in the event of a miscarriage. Okay, fine. And then the next one is a little bit tr troubling. Self-induced or criminal abortion, okay? So I wanna take it real slow here. So self-induced or criminal abortion. So what would that include? That might include things that are, that are typically, probably shouldn't be, but are typically legal, like the, uh, the abortion pill and, um, and other means like that, that suffice to say, just things that are legal right now within the system. So these are, these are, uh, are self-induced, right? But also any form of abortion that is criminal. Now again, we're talking about one month after the fact. So any type of abortion that you seek essentially one month after the fact would be legal. Now, I don't know how to say that other than what is right there staring you in the face so that you will understand, well, Reed, maybe there's this and maybe that, and maybe it means that it says any abortion that is self-induced or that is criminal, you cannot be civilly held liable for that. I mean, wake up, people. This, if that doesn't just absolutely scare the bejesus out of you, whatever that is, I don't know what will. But let's look at the final line there because this, this is the one that I think is probably the most disturbing, even more so than that second one. Because even this last one is a little bit misleading. Infant death due to pregnancy-related causes. So what exactly is a pregnancy-related cause, you may ask? You know what a pregnancy-related cause could be? 
Um, you know, stress is caused by a pregnancy. Uh, undue financial burden is caused by a pregnancy. Well, I mean, hunger is actually caused by pregnancy too. So when a baby's born, they, those poor defenseless little welches, they keep on crying out for food. And it doesn't give you any time to watch Judge Judy. So you have to hear those pitiful whimpers more and more and more. It adds stress to your life. So some might say, um, you know, that, you know, a baby being hungry is kind of a pregnancy-related issue. And so if you just let your baby sit there and starve, well then, hey, uh, but, but, I, but I feel that the reminder is in order yet again. Ripping a baby limb from limb and severing its spinal cord in a mother's womb is, is just as barbaric here. It's almost as if we desperately need to regain an understanding of being made in the image of God because we step so deeply away from religion in the American West. And that the further we step away from that, the more barbaric we get. But we've listened to the extortion on the left so much that we feel like we're not serving the rights of women unless we fight to make sure we can kill our baby. Now think about it this way, guys. If this isn't the intention of the, of, of the bill, then, then I want to just challenge you real quick. Go listen to a debate from any pro-choicer in the country. They're going to make something called the viability argument. And very many of them, if not all of them, make the viability argument that a baby is not viable upon conception. A baby, and so a baby is not a life. That only viability is the thing that makes, uh, that makes a baby worth saving. And viability means that you are self-sustaining. Okay, so hopefully I said that correctly. So, so baby, basically a baby needs to be viable to be a life and it can't be viable if it is not self-sustaining, right? So here's the deal. A baby is not truly self-sustaining because I have not given birth to two of them, but I, do, I did raise two of them, right? They are not self-sustaining at least until they're about six or seven. And I even have an eight-year-old and I still question sometimes. Like I think to myself about Sparta and I'm like, would he survive? Because you know, they used to send out their kids out into the wilderness with just like a bow and arrow and said, come back in 30 days and if you're still alive, cool. You get to be a Spartan man. And I look at my eight-year-old right now and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not so sure. You know, if they don't have Doritos and Captain Underpants, I don't know that he'd make it. And so the, the point is, is that that viability argument puts pro-choicers and pro-aborts in the position of saying that babies up until that point don't even deserve to live because they're not self-sustaining. So if you want to get rid of your pregnancy up until that point in time, you certainly have the right to do that. Now, that's not me saying this. This is the argument of those pro-aborters out there. And so how can we not read intentional obscurity in this bill uh, when that is their argument? Uh, so. So you dig into to the, the language of the bill yourself and you, and you see if you don't come away with a deep, dark, sinking feeling that California is about to do more than become just an abortion sanctuary, but they're, they're about to become a, a, just one big shallow grave of aborted fetuses. It's disgusting. So things have gotten crazy out in California and I, I hope it shakes us from our stupor. I hope that it helps us realize that Babies' lives are on the line, and this is not a time where we can simply sit back and be positive and encouraging if we don't mean actually taking a stand for things that truly matter. Babies' lives are on the lines. Real lives are on the line, so we need to speak up. Which brings us to our next headline, which is, as we continue to kind of look at the transgender movement as it, as it goes along, it, it becomes important for me to just say one very important thing to all of the people who are watching this today is that I think I'm prepared to, the, to come to the place, I am prepared to come to the place right now where I say, if you're not willing to speak out against the transgender movement, then you are, are anti-child and you are anti-family, that you don't care about the, the structure of the American family and that you don't care about the well-being of children if you are not actively speaking out against what's happening uh, in the trans community because it's absolutely horrific. So I want to show you an article by Susie Weiss um, at the Substack for Barry Weiss, uh, Common Sense, which by the way is a fantastic read. You should subscribe to it as long as you have already done your due diligence and subscribe to this channel, but you should subscribe to Barry Weiss's uh, Substack. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And so Susie Weiss is, uh, gives us an article right now talking about the transgender community and tells us the Biden administration says transgender kids are entitled to gender affirming medical care. These girls disagree. I have this intense rage in me, and this is from the girls, 
one of them, I have this intense rage in me over the harm that was done to me. And so I wanna read the article to you real quick because you'll see exactly what is going on in the trans community. And if you don't know, ignorance is no longer really a, a, a plea that you can cop to. Uh, especially after listening to this kind of stuff. But as I reveal this article to you, the one thing that, that I think happens is this, is that when you really see what's going on in trans communities and what's happening with transition surgeries, how the pharmaceutical industries are lying to these kids and telling them things like, you know, there's nothing more damaging than puberty. Puberty blockers and medicines are way more benign than actual, you know, your organic puberty happening in your body. Uh, so it's better to get kids on puberty blockers and hormones and those kind of things way before puberty because puberty is way more intrusive. So you get the point. But after I read this article, I think we're on the line at this point in time to say, hey, if you care about kids and you care about families staying intact, then, then it's time for us to say something about it. So here's the article. When Chloe woke up from her double mastectomy, she texted her mother in the waiting room, booba gone. This was a little over two years ago. She was 15 at the time. The typo was intentional. She told me recently, I thought it was funny. Is that a good thing? Her mom replied, yes, Chloe texted back. I don't think that answer aged well, she said to me. Chloe, who lives in California's Central Valley, always hated her body. She spent a lot of time on Tumblr and learned words like pansexual and bi-gender. She remembers when she was 12, sitting on her bed thinking, maybe I meant to live as a boy. Which by the way, here's one of the ways that I get, get away with saying that you're anti-family if you're not willing to speak out against some of the horrific travesties of transitional surgeries. Um, it's because quite frankly, so many of these stories come from people have been, who have been indoctrinated on social media. So if you're not watching your kids on social media, I mean, honestly, I hate shame-based arguments, but shame on you. you. Your kids should not be at any point in time, at least until they're maybe 55 or so, be on social media without the help of a parent. Obviously an exaggeration, kind of. All right, let's keep on reading in the article, but hopefully you get the point. Don't let your kids get indoctrinated on social media. It will absolutely destroy them. So Chloe in our story was the participant of what the White House calls gender-affirming care, which of course is a lie for absolutely experimental, devastating, irreversible damage to the human body by full body plastic surgery. Uh, so it goes on to say, but Chloe went to a therapist, then a gender specialist, then a surgeon who she had two consultations with. She also went to a class put on by her healthcare provider in a building in Oakland with, with other kids and their parents about top surgery. It was about things like incision and how to change bandages, so Chloe, a few months after she had her breasts removed, she was in class and the teacher started talking about the psychologist Harry Harlow and his experiment with rhesus monkeys. The experiment showed that the bond between the mother and child was much more critical to, to the development of the child's brain than had been known. It occurred to me that I'd never been able to breastfeed my baby, she said. She was 16. She liked boys, but didn't feel that she'd ever been taken seriously. She was five foot three, a trans boy. In the summer of 2020, she started to have regrets. I badly wanted to go out shirtless and feel that freedom, she said, but she was confined to her bed healing. Her nipple grafts and the scars were UV sensitive. She began feeling jealous of the girl she saw online. I missed being pretty, she said. In May of 2021, she stopped the testosterone. Detransitioning senior year was tough. She was dressing like a girl again, but still had rough features and a deep voice from all the testosterone. I got looks from people and other students would Talk smack behind my back, Chloe said. Her friends abandoned her. Another friend told her the gay side of my school hated me because she detransitioned. Recently, she met someone, a boy from two towns over, through a family friend. I genuinely think he was a gift to me from God, she said. She wished she still had her breast. I was looking for a niche to fit and a sense of fulfillment, says Chloe. And boy, this is where it gets heartbreaking, guys. Now, I don't really believe in gender identity at all. I mean, how many times do we have to experiment on kids before we understand that the, the soul itch that they're feeling down deep inside of them is never going to be scratched because they undergo a surgeon's knife? I mean, it's just absolutely insane. So we need to help kids understand what, what is entailed in this, this movement. We need to help them understand that 
suicide rate isn't actually going to go down after transition surgery. We need to help them understand that this idea, this duality of who you feel like and who you are is something that is, is similar to all of us, but going the extra step of actually mutilating your body in, to try to repair that duality is not going to fix the issue. Now, perhaps actually what may fix the issue is a restoration of trust in God, in faith, in something bigger than ourselves so that we'll quit hacking away at ourselves thinking that we can actually solve the problem. The one thing I know for sure is this, is that if we remain silent and sit back while all of these kids go through surgeries that perhaps they've only gone through because somebody else was speaking in their ear without us speaking in the other ear, well then shame on us. All right, let's jump into our final headline. So DeSantis hate is absolutely a lie. And so the reason I wanna bring this up is because Ron DeSantis is most likely the 2024 candidate and my vote if he jumps into the arena. As I thought about the prospect of him doing that, my mind began to wander into the deep recesses of the leftist brain. And what I saw there was enough to make any man weep. But it also made me realize a very obvious reality that I know I'm a little bit dense, but it had escaped me. Maybe only in passing I thought about it before, but it hit me full force the other day. The left knows Ron DeSantis would absolutely destroy Joe Biden like Luke Skywalker, threading the needle on the Death Star. It would be so beautiful. It would be like watching LeBron face off with Michael at his best. It would be so epic to, to watch Gen Zers everywhere just absolutely wet themselves and whine about how bad Michael beat that fool. In any case, it's clear the media hates Ron DeSantis. So why do they hate him? This is the thought that came to me. They wanna stop him from destroying Joe Biden. They wanna stop him from winning and they will do nothing. They, they will spare no expense in, in doing so. So let me show you a couple of, of articles here. So this is from The Hill and, and I like The Hill mostly, uh, but it says this, quote, Democrats face growing hurdles in bid to oust DeSantis. Now I find that funny. Maybe I'm just ignorant, but I can't remember a single, single governor requiring the whole Democratic Party to come against him to remove him from Florida. Now, it may be that they're just talking about Florida Democrats, but it's never specified in the article. So it's the Democratic Party is trying to oust DeSantis. It's him against the world, in other words. And you tend to think it's the, the whole movement because DeSantis has already raised $100 million in his campaign and has flipped Florida and the representation now is fully is fully Republican, and he's had a hundred added a hundred thousand Republicans to the party, and so now Republicans outnumber Democrats in the state. So you got to know he's an absolute threat to the whole of the Democratic Party. So how about this one? Florida's vile groomer law may blow up in DeSantis's face. So wait, hold up just one sec. Did the mask just slip a little bit? It's not the groomer law. Remember, it's the don't say gay bill, right? I mean, okay, you said it, not me, but okay, groomer, since you open up the can of worms, um, I, I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and just say, yeah, it's, it's the anti-grooming law, and can an anti-grooming law actually be vile? The answer to that, by the way, is no, just in case you weren't picking it up. How about this one from MSNBC? DeSantis takes his fight with Disney to the next level. So, again, of course, this refers to the special session that's uh, right now going on to review Disney's relationship with Florida and the special breaks they get, including a large portion of two Florida counties and basically the government just delivering those over to Disney carte blanche to do whatever they want. But of course the story here is Ron DeSantis is striking back at Disney for exercising their right to free speech rather than what's actually happening, which is Disney is trying to immigrate California politics to Florida using the weight of their multi-billion dollar corporation to subvert, to subvert the will of democratically elected officials in Florida, which is exactly what they did by looking into legal action to sue Florida for the parental rights and education bill that was signed. So I, for one, am glad DeSantis is taking Disney to task for slapping the hand that feeds it for so many years. So if they take away those tax privileges, if they take away the right to build whatever they want to without having to seek any building permits like everybody else has to do, it, it serves them right. And then finally, the New Yorker says this, quote, DeSantis warns that math makes children gay, end quote. Now, obviously this is satire, it's from the New Yorker. But it's really stupid satire. And the Babylon Bee, by the way, is way better. But nonetheless, 
It's an attempt at comedy, but there still seems to be this overt attempt to lie. You know deep down that they actually believe that this removal of math textbooks that just happened in Florida, where they really do believe that, that they believe it has something to do with being gay. Maybe because there's never been a more coordinated effort between politicians and the media to clown themselves publicly with the attempts to deceive Americans with the, this supposed don't say, and again quotes, don't say gay bill. But for the record, what actually happened in Florida is that DeSantis got rid of Common Core and all the textbooks associated with Common Core were removed and replaced with what they call best standards. So don't believe the media when they tell you that he's getting rid of math from Florida or that DeSantis thinks math is woke because that's not what's happening. But by the way, I, I have an experience with Common Core that I can share with you. So my kid brought home some Common Core math not too long ago, maybe about a month ago from school. And let's just say Common Core is math, like inviting a guest over to your house and then telling them to come through the back window over the kitchen sink to get into the house. Yes, you get to the same place eventually, but you have to go the long way around and it's totally unnecessary. That's what Common Core math is. So I for one am glad that Common Core is being loaded upon a dumpster, lit on fire and sent directly to the hell that it belongs to. So, but here's the real reason Ron DeSantis is being attacked so rigorously in the media. It isn't because DeSantis is anti-gay and the media knows that. They really do. It isn't because the parental rights and education bill is anti-gay. The media knows that as well too. The media or Democrats in the media, so the media, want to rig an election in favor of the Democrats and have to work hard so they're already creating hit pieces to smear DeSantis to keep him away from running or to smear him when he runs. So once again, it's worth reminding you, there may not have been a widespread voter fraud attempt like Trump professed in 2020, but hopefully we understand by now that there truly is an imbalance in our elections because of the way the media covers things in America. They know DeSantis will mop the floor with Joe Biden's incontinent behind if even he has the battery power to get his rascal up on the debate stage in 2024. And they're doing the best to, to stack the deck against DeSantis in the eventual running of DeSantis. But thank God, also literally, thank God for places like the Daily Wire, who read the bill live for the don't say gay thing and quickly pushed back against the media narrative with the parental rights and education thing. Thank God that there are people doing this because in one poll, Democrats in Florida actually read the bill and 60% of them approved it. That's Democrats, guys. The reason I'm saying this is that the point is, is that if we don't have people pushing back against these media lies, people will believe this stuff. And the media knows this. For the life of me, I honestly, I just don't get it. I'm not trying to be rude, but I don't understand how anybody can watch the news media. And I say this very often, sure, fine, throw Fox into the mix, whatever you want, whatever floats your boat. But that's one media organization against all the other 99% of them. Why do you still listen to these people? Thank God for other places that are actually telling the truth. And specifically this, I hope you Christians are listening and are emboldened by the things that I'm talking about today. Because you need to know, you can only hide for so long. When your congregation gets wind of the fact that you stand for sex within the confines of marriage and between a man and a woman, and that you, refill, you refuse to kill innocent babies in the, in the womb, and that the trans movement is a lie from the enemy, what do you think is gonna happen to you? Do you think they're gonna pat you on the back and throw money in the plate? So yeah, you can continue to lie and grow your church and never disciple your people, or you can tell them the truth and usher in a movement that will cause people to beat the doors down at your church to get in because they need to hear refreshing ideas that they can't hear in the culture today. So in the words of our very competent president, Christian pastors, Christians. Come on, man. All right, last said, let's jump into our final segment, Christianity Not Today. All right, so in our final segment today, Christianity Not Today, I, I wanna go over the Hillsong documentary because I watched this thing, guys, and it was pretty, it was pretty interesting. Um, I, I, I wanna give you kind of the full, kind of review, if you will, of this documentary, but you can go get a free subscription to Discovery Plus and you can watch it yourself. There's three episodes and uh, that you can get it one week free. And if you wanna go further than that, certainly feel free to, but 
but that's what I did. I went on and I watched it and I was only going on just to, to catch that real quick. And so uh, here's a couple of takeaways and I'm gonna start with the pros uh, to begin with here. So the first thing, the doc does a decent job of kind of digging into celebrity culture and um, it doesn't really go deep enough with this in my mind because this is really kind of one of the stories is like what happens when you mix, mix celebrity with church. Uh, but at least it highlights that so that you can kind of think about that for yourself because I definitely think that one of the the most prickly predicaments of the modern day megachurch movement is the phenomenon of celebrity pastors. And so it does also go into the megachurch movement. So that's another thing that I think is important. So um, I do believe in evil pastors that are predatory, yes. But more importantly, I believe in weak people. I believe in original sin, that people are are wicked and that people long to do things that are bad from time to time and that we have the capacity, if nothing else, we have the capacity for sin inside of us. And so the megachurch movement is a big movement with lots of money. And again, I think they could do a better job of digging into this reality, but the reality is, is that that becomes a very troubling and problematic reality when we're talking about keeping our noses clean and trying to make sure that we have good ethics and we don't sell out the, goal, the goals and the mission and the vision of the church and, and all of that thing. Because inevitably, undoubtedly, the bigger a church gets, the more cause there is for concern over losing the message and losing the mission and losing scriptural truth. So I think that uh, there's, there's something to be thought about there. And at least the megachurch movement has, has a little bit of a light shined on it so that we can think about that. Again, they could do a better job there. And then the final thing I'll say about this is that uh, there are real people who were abused by people in the Hillsong movement and that story needed to be told. So I'm really, really happy that that was done. I think this is probably the most important thing is this was not some big expose that exposed Hillsong um, and brought people to justice. It's, this is after the fact from those things, but it's good to know that those people can tell their story. So now, now the cons. So the people interviewed very often in this documentary very often showed personal grievances. And by that, I mean, they let their biases oversimplify what took place at Hillsong. This is a very important point. I know it's a little bit nuanced perhaps, but, but it's very important. Since you can't know the sources that you're hearing from in documentaries and check it, you have to use the smell test. So if the reporting may have an overt bias, then you know you won't get the story that you really need to hear. So look beyond statements that you hear in the documentary like, they have one goal, and that's to get as much of your money as they possibly can. Now, is that really true? Is that really true? Like even for Brian Houston, is that really what he was go starting a church for is just so that he could steal all of your money? What I'm trying to point, paint out, or uh, paint here, is that there was probably other things that were going on other than just the idea that uh, that Brian Houston just wanted your money and that's all they were doing. No, you're oversimplifying the story just because you're mad or something like that. The real story is important enough and frankly dark enough that you don't need to embellish it with your personal grievances about a church and how much money they make. I mean, there's large corporations. If you're just going to rail about how much money they make, you could do that, I guess. But the second thing is this, is that the Lentz aspect of the story really kind of shows this. That they really want this to be like a Scientology cold story. It's, <laughs> but it's really just about a bad pastor who flew too close to the sun. It's about a dude that made it to the top and needed something else to conquer and a double life was what he turned to. This is a common story among powerful men that find fame and then finally realize it's deeply unfulfilling. Now that's a powerful story to tell. But that's not the story the doc follows. Some crazy, it follows some crazy trails in an attempt to uncover conspiracies that don't exist and to prove some type of manipulation that didn't exist. Even at one point, they call like the church's mandate, Hillsong's mandate to reach the world for Jesus, some type of globalist agenda to take over the world. That's their suggestion. But it gets worse. There's a personal story that a girl tells about having premarital sex and being a volunteer at the church and then she meets with Carl really early on in his ministry and then he gives a biblical stance to the behavior. I mean, the one time he actually does something good, he's accused of cultic behavior. So she's mad about the fact that he rebuked them for that. And, I, and I'm sorry, when volunteers at a church are having premarital sex and are dismissed from their positions and encouraged to practice celib celibacy, whether you like that or not, that's, that is kind of what we believe. So the point is that the doc and docs like these can become such witch hunts that the subjects can say, 
perfectly reasonable things, and, and then the worst interpretation can be given to that thing that they say. But it does bring me to the close of the show with this one thought. The purpose and redemptive nature of a documentary film is to show the breakdown of personal responsibility. Now think on that. All good docs show personal responsibility that has been lost somewhere. That's what a really good doc does. It's not to expose the rich for just because they're rich or to condemn the religious. It's to bring us back all to fiscal responsibility and to restore faith in authentic religion. Now, perhaps in doing this, we'll find that we need some personal responsibility ourselves because we have a deep desire for purpose. And where does that deep desire for purpose come from? Well, it was created in us. We were created for something and for someone, by the way. And that's why this Hillsong doc is not Christianity today. Uh, it, Hillsong was not representing Christianity, but I don't think the documentary does either. But you can, and here's how you can. You can speak up on issues that cause people to contemplate their role in society and their personal responsibility on issues that matter. Those are the things that we should speak up on, things that demand personal responsibility. Because by the way, in so doing, not only are you discussing a universal truth that the whole world needs to realize, but you're also doing one other thing. Maybe you didn't even realize you were doing it. When you, when you issue forth the mandate of personal responsibility on issues, personal responsibility for your finances, personal responsibility for your home, personal responsibility for your nation and the culture, when you issue forth that, what you're actually going to find is that well, now we're going to have to agree upon a standard, maybe some ethics, some values, by which we can say these are things that we need to agree upon if we're going to have a healthy society. And I'm just gonna tell you two building blocks. Fiscal responsibility is one of them, as we've already talked about, and marital fidelity is one of them too. Marital fidelity within a relationship that produces another generation. So in other words, a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage. I hesitate to say traditional marriage because we're just talking about marriage. Real marriage, as it has always been defined, is a building block of society. So I get, what am I trying to say? Is that as we dig down into personal responsibility and speaking out on these things that we need to be personally responsible for, what you're actually doing is you're affirming Christian truth. Now I know for some of you atheists and agnostics, that may be a little unsettling to you, but if you push aside the ad hominem for a moment and you actually consider Christianity and, and its role in society, how it was a building block for, uh, for our, our American experience early, experience early on and how erosion continues to happen the more and more we move away from it, you may actually have to realize that there's some pretty redemptive and beautiful stuff that we can learn from Christianity. But you don't have to think like me, but you do have to think for yourself. So consider what we talked about today and then let's talk about it and let's speak openly about it. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.